0: Probably a good thing I'm not preaching directly on the gospel. (laughs) My wife, Joanna, has observed that maybe the best part of a great vacation or a trip is simply anticipating the event. You know, getting ready for it, planning feeling the excitement as it builds. Lately, we've been planning a two-week camping trip in Montana, where we live. We'll see how that works out. (laughs) But it's okay, because what that means is I get to shop for camping equipment. (laughs) And that's great fun. It's exciting to plan where you're going to go and when you're going to be where. But, of course, eventually you get to that place where everything is in place, but you've not actually left to go on the trip. Maybe it is a few days or a few weeks or a few minutes, but you're at that place where you just have to. To wait. And it happens before more than trips and vacations. That moment of pause. When you are waiting to begin the next new big thing in your life. That's sort of where St. Paul's is right now. Right? And it is exactly where the disciples are just before that first passage you heard from Acts. Okay, so Jesus rose from the dead back at Easter. And now he's been popping in and out, making sort of guest appearances For 40 days, right up until a week ago Thursday, when on Ascension Day, Jesus waves goodbye and ascends to heaven, leaving the disciples behind. He leaves them to become the church, to become his body now here on earth. What must they be feeling? Jesus is gone. And now it all depends on us. So for the next 10 days, they start preparing for the next big thing, which for them is being the church. Probably a lot of nervous energy and the truth is, no one had time to reflect. There was a lot of work to be done. It's church work. My friend, Ed Wills, the priest at St. Michael's Little Rock always refers to it as, that's just church work. Nothing dramatic or spectacular, it's church work. Tom Long says that this part of the story stands plugged in the gap between Ascension and Pentecost like a ukulele player sent on stage to entertain the audience between the New York Philharmonic and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. which isn't really a bad description for the mundane day-to-day church work. And church work, item number one, was they had lost an apostle with Judas' departure. So they were down to the number 11, and that would just not do. Jesus had called and established 12. Just like the 12 tribes of Israel. They were like Episcopalians. Once we get things in order, don't start messing with it. And at that time, there was no constitution and canons to prescribe a process for electing a new apostle. They had to just work with what they had. So... Peter stands up, which Peter was always willing to do. Peter stands up and does what Peter was so gifted at doing. Peter gives a speech. If all else fails, give a speech. It's a speech putting forth the argument for why they should replace Judas and how they should do it. And so they nominate two worthy candidates. And then, well, luckily, they prayed. And then, do you remember what they did? They cast lots. Now, a lot of versions will say, biblical versions will say they drew straws, which is probably an indication of some puritanical discomfort with the idea of doing anything that resembles rolling dice. I remember my mom, when I was a kid, discouraged me from rolling dice, saying, son, can't you tell they just feel good in your hands? It must be a sin. (laughs) But casting lots is really most similar to dice, not drawing straws. And it was an ancient practice amongst the Hebrews to determine God's will among any number of matters. You cast them. You had to let go of them. You had to let them roll. Do you know? Ha! Mama needs a new pair of shoes. No, I mean a new apostle. (laughs) Or maybe a new rector. How about that search committee? (laughs) And so that's exactly what they did. And it was determined that Matthias would be that apostle. And then once that was complete with all the church work complete, there wasn't anything left to do but to wait. Of course, Jesus had told the apostles very clearly to wait in the city, to wait in Jerusalem for power on high is what he said. And he meant the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, John baptized you with water, but soon you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now they're really at that point where all they can do is listen to the ukulele music after the residence of the last chord of the philharmonic is gone. And of course, wait. Wait. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. I am a terrible fisherman. But then, of course, one thing we can count on, time passes. And eventually it happened. And it happened in a big way, like a tornado and a forest fire simultaneously, with everyone talking at once, which is why i requested that that gospel be read simultaneously it was not done in episcopal order folks everybody was speaking in tongues simultaneously it was confusing they were speaking in unknown tongues in fact In languages they themselves did not understand. Now sometimes the Holy Spirit comes like it's described in John. Like a breath. Jesus simply breathes the Holy Spirit into the disciples. But at other times, at other times the Holy Spirit is poured down upon us. Not neatly distributed into individual injections, all control, but poured down upon us, flowing in all directions like a massive flood or an uncontrolled forest fire. A lot of my ca- colleagues take sabbaticals. At the 730 service, we figured out that Chuck and I had never had one. Suzanne sort of had one. I like the idea of sabbaticals. I am for them. I support them. I think they're a good thing. It seems to me that there was a point in Christianity where the Holy Spirit took a sabbatical, at least in Western Christianity, Didn't take one in Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Of course, when we get honest, the truth is that we in Western Christianity are the ones who took the sabbatical, not the Holy Spirit. With the advent of modern rational thought, we just couldn't get our heads. Wrapped around this third person of the Trinity, sometimes called the Holy Ghost. I want to shake people up, call it a ghost. It didn't fit well into our newfangled mental constructs. Possibly the greatest contribution of the charismatic movement that emerged. In the Episcopal Church, other mainline traditions, and the Roman Catholic Church back in the 60s is that at least it forced us to talk about the third person of the Holy Trinity to struggle with and articulate what we believe about the Holy Spirit instead of trying to ignore that third person as if she is that wacky, crazy aunt at the family reunion. Well, as Bishop Curry says, enough said about that. I'm about to sit down. (laughs) For the last six months, I've been here with you during one of those transitional in-between times where we've been getting ready together for the next big thing here at St. Paul's. I've done the best I could on the ukulele. And in fact, I play the ukulele. I pray that here at St. Paul's, you will always realize That no amount of good church work is enough in and of itself. That whether the Holy Spirit is poured upon us like a sweeping flood or breathed into us or slips into our hearts through our dreams when we are asleep, I hope you remember that the Holy Spirit of God is always an absolutely indispensable ingredient of power if we are truly to be God's church and respond faithfully to what God is calling us to do. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Amen.